0: Well, the Apostle Paul wants us to live real Christian lives. That's what he's looking for us to do in Romans chapter 12 to 16. And if you're joining with us and you wonder what has happened already in the book of Romans, well, it might take us a few years to discover that together. But, but simply in the first 10 chapters, Paul outlines for us the great doctrines of what it means to be in Jesus Christ, to be wonderfully made New to receive this righteousness that comes from God through His only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's accepted and it's received by faith. It's a wonderful free gift. The wages of our own sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and Paul bursts forth with a manifesto. In Romans 1 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who would believe first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And the first 11 chapters are wonderful. In fact, Paul hardly tells you anything you have to do. I like in my household not being told what to do, but sometimes I do get instructions about things I have to do. Romans 11, it's a bit of a bridge. Paul gets caught up in how wonderful the gospel is. And he says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. This gospel is so amazing. But then in Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, Paul starts to speak to us about real Christian living, about sacrificial living, about practical Christian faith. And last week, he so helpfully brought you to think about how you're to live when you get pulled over by the police officer on the side of the road and how you should live as a civilian with the government all around you. I'm glad he got that one. See how I noticed I booked myself away that Sunday where Keith had to tackle that one. But Paul gets more intimate this week. Starts to help us think about what it looks like to live in reality. Real community living. And I've been thinking about reality TV. Some of you love reality TV. Big brother You love watching I'm a Celebrity and seeing the health secretary get all sorts of things put upon him. And I accessed an article by a psychiatrist called Dr. Carol Lieberman, who's a media psychiatrist, and she argued this. We like reality TV because we live vicariously through the experiences of the reality TV stars but we do it from the safety of our own homes. We don't actually have to risk our hearts or our reputations or our own emotions. Rather, we, we ourselves, we live vicariously through these reality show participants. We do it from the safety of home. Paul says that's not the way it's meant to be in the church. Jew and Gentile who have been wondrously saved by Jesus have now become one body in Rome with all the pressures of living under the oppression of the Roman government. And the Jews bringing all their baggage to church and the Gentiles bringing all their cultural baggage to church are now sitting beside one another in church. And Paul says, don't go off to your own homes and think that you can live a Christian life in isolation. No, it's got to be real Christian community. It's got to be together. So what does Paul have to say to us this morning? Well, just a few short points. Look, firstly, at the debt you owe. The debt you owe in real Christian community is to love one another with the love of Christ. Look at verse 8 of chapter 13. Paul writes, Owe no one anything except, except to love each other, for the one who loves another has Fulfill the law. If you owe anyone anything in this church, let it be the debt of love. And you say, Well, what's the motivation for my love? What what's the manifesto for love? Who who or what does it come from? Well, well, Jesus, as we're going to see in this study guide through Lent as we take ourselves to Easter in the upper room, Jesus is teaching his disciples, his mentees, some of his final instructions about what it looks like to live in real Christian community. Listen to what he said, John 13:34 a new commandment I give to you, that you, what should you do? Love one another, how? As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And and it's not just for a holy huddle. Look at the evangelistic impact Jesus said. By this, all people walking up and down this street, looking in through our windows, will, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's real Christian community. Loving people you struggle with, loving people who don't look like you, think like you. He's not calling for uniformity here. He's calling for Christian. Unity And John later, as he writes as an older man, confirmed the teaching of Jesus when he says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. John is saying none of us can stand looking at Jesus being crucified as we've sung so much about this morning, standing and seeing this incredible love he has for us and then almost turning away from him and looking at the people all around the cross and saying, I'm not gonna extend to you that same love he's shown to me. As I have loved you, so love one another. The only thing you owe anyone in the church is the love of Christ. Sadly, in this community, many of you remember the days when we turned on our TV screens at night and do you remember, the producer would say there's been another tit-for-tat murder. One member of the community was uh, shot dead and then the next night, the report would come on, another member of the community has been shot dead and the producer would say, another tit-for-tat murder. The only thing that should be tit for tat in the church is the love of Jesus Christ. As you've received this love, you give it to others, others give it to you. If you owe anyone a debt, it's the love of Christ. Origen, who was an early Christian scholar, said this, let your only debt that is unpaid be that of love a debt which you should always be attempting to discharge in full, but will actually never succeed in discharging. If you owe anyone anything, it's, it's to love others as Christ has loved you. Why? Because look at what Paul says. Look at the next part of verse eight. For the one who loves, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Now, I'm not sure what your relationships are like with your in-laws, but as I listened to someone preaching this on Friday, the particular preacher said this, the law and love are like spiritual in-laws. And the person that binds them together is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love And the law of Christ are like spiritual in-laws and what binds them together is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The law of God tells us what to do, but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ empowers us to do it. When you think about the 10 commandments, when, when they were given to God's people, it was out of grace that he saved them. You read Exodus, you'll see that they were saved by God's amazing grace and now they are this new people with a new identity, free from the 400 years of bondage and slavery. After receiving this grace, God says, this then is how you should live. This is my moral law. These are my commands and my will for you to live as a community together. Why? Because you're gonna struggle. And so it's grace that binds the law and love together. And Jesus has modeled this for us His selfless, law breaking love and ascension, his incarnation, in his ministry, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension. Christ has modeled this wonderful combination of law and love and grace being perfectly fulfilled. But we're not there yet. And so Paul has to help us think further. Look at verse 9. Paul takes us to the seventh, the sixth, the eighth, and the tenth commandments of the great ten words that God gives to his people. Paul selects some of them, verse 9. For the commandments, he says, consider some of them, particularly those in community life. You, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you think about many of these actions, murder and theft and adultery, it's taking from someone. It's your or my sinful, selfish heart wanting to exploit what somebody else has and Taking it for yourself. It's the fulfillment, sadly, of what happened in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve wanted to take in rather than to give away. And yet, as we've discovered in many of the epistles that we've studied together over the years, that the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, is not about taking from other people, but it's about giving away to other people. Think about it the fruit of the Holy Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness gentleness and self-control there's no need for a law when these things are present in the church they're by giving of yourself in fact they're a reflection of what we heard a couple of weeks ago what paul wrote in 1 corinthians 13 about what love genuine love really looks like it's it's really being jesus to others jesus was patient jesus was kind jesus was not envious Jesus did not boast. Jesus was not arrogant or rude. Jesus did not insist on his own way. Jesus was not irritable or resentful. Jesus did not rejoice in wrongdoing, but he rejoiced for the truth. Jesus bore all things. Jesus believed all things. Jesus hoped all things. Jesus endured all things. And the love of Jesus never ends. You want to look for a source. And for a place and for a person for motivation, look to Jesus. He didn't take, he gave. Though he was rich, out of his poverty, gave, give himself. And Paul can't get his head fully around it, but he's trying to under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so look what he says at verse 10. He says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is The fulfilling of the law. If you're living like Christ, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll not take, you'll give. Think about when you fall out with your neighbors. Now, I know some of you probably have some wacko neighbors, and we don't have time to get into that counseling uh, together. But think of when you fall out with your neighbors, or when your neighbor falls out with you, or you read in the Daily Mail. So, of course, it must be true about neighbors who fall out with one another. It's when one neighbor wants something deeply even though they know it will annoy the other neighbor but they're so concerned about their own desires they will take it. We want to have a party at 3 a.m. and have the beats pumping. We're going to do it regardless of how it annoys you. We're going to build this big grotesque extension at the back of our house. It's going to consume all of your light and take away all of your lovely sunshine. We're going to take it whether you want it or not. And so neighbors fall out with one another when one seeks their own desires above that of their neighbour. But if you live like Jesus, that won't happen. If you love like Jesus, you'll never exploit your neighbor. If you owe anyone anything in the church, may it be the love of Christ. This is the debt that we owe. But look at secondly, Paul moves on here. Look at the times you're in, secondly. Look at at the times in which you're, you're living. It's the day of Christ. Verse 11 reads, besides this, you know the, the time that the hour has come for, for you to wake up. You need to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. What's Paul saying? He says a new era has begun. A new epoch has started. The the Christian believer has been raised from death to life, from light to darkness, from bondage to freedom, from outside the covenants of grace to inside the covenants of grace. The Christian has been moved from destruction to deliverance. And now he says, because of all this, be who you are. New day has come. It's a wonderful new day. Be who you are but it was held by Douglas Moo who said in his book, Christians are not only to become what we are, we're also to become what one day will be. Christians, and I was struck by this, I've heard it so many times, you know, become who you are, wonderful statement, but also become what one day you will be when we shall be like him because we'll see him face to face. Not only will we have been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only will we be sanctified or being sanctified in the image and likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ, but one day, if you're a Christian, you will be glorified. You'll receive that wonderful new resurrected body and you'll be like him and you'll see him face to face and all of this mortality will be taken up with immortality. You'll be like him. Douglas Moo says, Try to be like that. What a challenge. That the Holy Spirit might so fill me and you and our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, might so empower us to aspire to be like him. But we are sleepy. Look at what he says, verse 11. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. prophets and the apostles have much to say about this condition of sleepiness and slumber. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 60 verse one says, Arise, shine for your light is coming. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Paul to the church at Corinth with all of its sinful background. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 6 to this model church, Paul writes, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, they sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. But if you're like me as a Christian, Sin can cause me and it can cause you to doze spiritually. And I was thinking about being a driver at the wheel. And I read an article this week that said apparently 20% of drivers over their lifetime have fallen asleep even momentarily at the wheel due to tiredness, due to illness, due to sickness there was one particular motorway in the world where government officials couldn't understand why so many accidents were happening. So many truck drivers who drive through the night were falling asleep at the wheel at this particular interstate junction, and they couldn't work out, why is this happening? But they did an investigation, and what they found was that the road, when it was being put down, was perfectly consistent in all the bumps the truck drivers driving through the night were literally going, to doom to doom And in that consistency added to their sleepiness were falling asleep at the wheel. As I thought about that picture, I thought, can't my sin and yours be like that? Consistent sin, just bringing a sleepiness and a slumber to our spiritual state. And before we know it, we're lulled into this spiritual devastation. Paul says, wake up. Don't doze spiritually. Don't let sin have this slow impact on you when you're moving away from the patterns of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't fall asleep at the spiritual wheel. And so we need big jolts in the road. We need the the word of God as a lamp to our feet. We need prayer and confession of sin. We need the church to be singing to one another, to be hearing one another, to seeing God's grace at the Lord's table, to hearing God's word lifted up. It's a bit like my children. When I come into them in the morning and they're still asleep and I turn the light on and they go, dad, what are you doing? Because they've been asleep all night and so the, the light comes on and it's stark contrast to their eyes and that needs to happen to us spiritually. Sometimes we drift from, from God's word and we, we don't read it for weeks and weeks and months and months. It's not that we earn our salvation in the reading of it, but it's like light to our eyes. It's a lamp to our feet. Revives our soul. And we need it because this is the day that we're in. The days are dark and they're evil, but we are children of the light. And Paul reminds him for salvation, Verse 11, is nearer to us now than when we first believed. He says, verse 12, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So what should we do? Well, he helps us, verse 12. He says, so then, based on this, let us, here's what we need to do, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Why? Because Christ, the light of the world, has turned on a spiritual light in your heart. Once you were in darkness, now you're in light. Once you were dead, now you've been made alive. So then how should we live? Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, verse 14, you, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it up in a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, what should you do in your family? In your singleness? in your workplace, in your retirement. What should you do? Jesus tells us, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they might see your good works and not give glory to you, but give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus said, it. Peter who had a long time with Jesus, 1 Peter 2, 9, but you, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, why, why did God love me like this and you like this, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, where? Into his marvelous light. Friends, the days are dark and they're evil. If you're a Christian, you're You're the light, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. We must walk in the light as he is in the light. God has put you and me in our homes, in our apartments, in our families, in our workplaces to shine our lights. But we need armor. We need armor. So look at what he encourages us to wear because we bring our lights and the adversary hates when the light is shone. And so we need to do something. First, verse 12, the second half, we see the armor we need to wear. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. We need to take off our... Sinful old clothing. The Bible has much to say about it. Colossians 3, 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. Ephesians 4, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and its corrupt, deceitful desires. The writer of the Hebrews, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which... Cling so closely to you. you. want to know what God's will is for your life? 1 Thessalonians 4 says your sanctification. Holy life. So when we are living a life characterized by sinful living, we are actually living outside the will of God. Paul says, cast, cast off that old life. That's not who you are. It's definitely not who you're going to be. Cast it off. And we have, listen to this, we have the power to do this. Why? Because on the cross, as we were singing about this morning, Christ has broken, Christ has smashed, Christ has torn apart the chains of sin and death. Isn't that incredible? We can do this because Christ put on your dirty clothes and he put on my dirty clothes on that cross. Condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. Guilty, vile, and helplessly spotless lamb of God. Was he full atonement? Could it really be? Hallelujah. What a savior. We can do this because of what he's done And so as we cast off that old person, we put on the newness of Christ. Paul says, put on, verse 12, the armor of light. When you wake up spiritually, don't go for your jogging bottoms. Don't go for your jeans. Go for that spiritual armor because you're engaged in a war against the world and the flesh and the devil. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. One writer says we need to spend time alone with Jesus he is the light. And then prayer and exposing our lives like photographic plates to his presence so that his image, his character is burnt onto ours. The writer says, if we do this, we'll Be spiritually like Moses when he descended Sinai after being alone with God and his face shone with the light of God. We need, this writer says, to open our Bibles and allow God's truth to illumine our eager faces with with goodness and righteousness of truth. And if we want to shine in the light, let us keep on the light of Christ. Because what does walking in the darkness look like? Well, it's the antithesis of this. Paul verse 13 says, let us work properly as in the daytime. And he offers six metaphors and pictures of what darkness looks like. Not in orgies, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in sensuality, not in quarreling, and not in jealousy. Think about all these things. They're about taking from someone, taking from another, pleasing yourself. One historian, Bruce Winter, writes, In the first century, tables were reserved for drinking bouts and activities with prostitutes. Cicero describes how young men believed in parties celebrating so-called coming of age. And if there is anyone who thinks that youth should be forbidden affairs even with courtesans, he doubtlessly, eminently is austere. But his view is not only contrary to the license of this age, but also to the concessions of our ancestors, even in the first century, it was just live how you wanna live, please yourself, exploit others rather than serving others. But Jesus warned us against such activities. In Luke 21, 34, he says, Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the old earth. But stay awake, Jesus says, at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus says, watch out cast off and we should put on the armor of light and paul brings this little pericope to close verse 14 look what he says but put on just to remind us again put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires There's parts, if you're a Christian this morning, of your old sinful life that calls out to you, that wants to pull you back in, to draw you back in. And the apostle has already said earlier in Romans 8 that we need to put these things to death in the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And so we have a role. In Christian sanctification, that means being made more like the Lord Jesus Christ, We have our role and God has his role. He works in us and we work out what he's worked in us. And so in this journey, we've got to cooperate with him. What is my part and yours in the cooperation? To starve our flesh. Don't feed it. Don't cherish it. Don't cultivate it. Starve it. And a lot of it's done in the darkness. Behind closed doors, behind closed curtains, in quiet rooms. Paul says, don't feed it. but how can we fight? How can we make our stand? Because of what Christ has done for us. They read this week of a conversation overheard in a dugout full of wounded men during the First World War. One of the men had been terribly wounded and he knew he had only moments to live. And he had a friend with him who had already seen a bad start to a bad life. He'd made wrong decisions. He'd already served time in prison. In fact, he was wanted back home by the police. But the wounded man pulled the wanted man down close to his face. They took out his dog chain, his ID chain, and pressed it into the hand of his friend. He said, listen, Dominic, you've had a bad life. You're wanted everywhere by the police. But listen, there's no convictions against me. My name is clear. So here, Dominic, take my dog tag. Take my wallet. Take my papers. Take my identity. Dominic, take my good name. Take my good life. And quickly, hand me your papers that I might carry all your crimes away with me in death. And you know what, Christian? That's what Jesus Christ has done for you. All your sin laid upon him. Christ didn't come into this world to make bad people good. Jesus Christ came into this world to make people like you and me dead people live. you don't know him what a wonderful day to come to the cross and say I can identify with Dominic I'm in the darkness Christ shine your light on me I ask for your forgiveness for my sin make me make me new let's just take a moment to pray and just in the stillness reflect on these things and then we're going to sing our final song which takes us to the climax of our thinking this morning on the power of the cross to make us live this real Christian life. So just take a moment of stillness and then I'll pray and then we'll sing. Father, your word says if anyone is in Christ. He or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We rejoice, our Father, that all this is from you who have reconciled us to yourself through the Lord Jesus. And yet, our Father, as we sit here in this building and even some join us online, we can all reflect on areas of our lives that are not conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And Father, even in the stillness now, help us to confess those things to you. Father, there are some people in this room or joining us online who are outside of Christ, who are characterized by darkness, even if no one else knows about it. We pray, our Father, that if they confess their sin, that they will know that you are just and forgiving to cleanse them, to wash them, to Forgive them from all of their sinfulness and their law-breaking and their unrighteousness and that this morning they can become a new person in Christ. Father, by your spirit, help them to do that this morning. And Father, then we pray for all of us as we respond now in song. May the power of the gospel warm our hearts once again. As we praise you, our Father, that through the cross that we are not what we once were, we thank your you, Father for who we are now, but how we look forward to that day when we will see Him and we will be like Him, just as He is. In Jesus' name. Amen.